I would like to address on this Ascension Day of 2020 during the coronavirus here in the basement of my home, the much debated issue of how Christians should engage the world. I don't know if you realize it's debated, but some Christians want to be very active and involved in the things of this world, and others on the other side of the spectrum might want to fall away from or uh, take a, a different approach where they kind of holy huddle is, is a common phrase. So there's a debate amongst Christians. Should we be more engaged and involved with politics and matters in the world, or should we be more secluded and isolated? I believe the doctrine of Jesus Christ is at the heart of any method for thinking about the church and its engagement with the world. So, as in a lot of things, the starting point should be Jesus. He is the firstborn of the new creation and the living embodiment of the new kingdom here on earth. So, today, on Ascension Day, I would propose that we focus our discussion about Jesus and our engagement with culture on Jesus himself. Or to sum it all up, as Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 to 2 says, I want to urge all of us to set our mind on things above, namely, setting our mind on Christ who is seated at the right hand of the Father, which is a big part of what Ascension Day is all about. Jesus Christ is on his throne, seated at the Father's right hand. So here's the big idea of this message. Christians today need to recover the lost doctrine of Jesus's ascension to heaven because Christ's Absence from the world is the key to our faithful presence in the world. Let me say that one more time. Christians today, especially Protestants, Catholics actually do a lot better at the Ascension Day thing than we do and remember it and celebrate it and think it's a big deal. But Protestant evangelicals, this is not a strong thing. We need to recover the lost doctrine of Christ's ascension because Christ's absence from the world is the key to our faithful presence in the world. So what I want to do is unpack that sentence in two parts. First, I would like to make sure we're all on the same page as to why I say the doctrine of Jesus's ascension needs to be recovered. I'm convinced that the ascension of Jesus to heaven has been severely overlooked in most of our churches, in the preaching of the gospel, and in our application to our everyday life. So that's first, Christians today need to recover the ascension. Second, I would like to explain why this aspect of the gospel is in fact helpful, critical for our engagement with the world. And I'm going to argue that Christ's absence from the world is key to our faithful presence in the world. So here we go. Part one, the ascension of Jesus Christ needs to be recovered. Is the ascension that important? Why should we really care about whether it's neglected or not? So here's a thought experiment for you in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul describes the gospel that he delivered to the Corinthians as being of first importance. This is 1 Corinthians 15.3. Simply put, it seems like the language Paul used suggests that some things that we teach and preach in the church are more important than others. He says that the gospel is of first importance, which begs the idea that maybe some things are second or third importance. 
And as a result of that, many Christians through the last 2,000 years have talked about what are called first-ordered doctrines that are fundamental and central to the Christian faith. One uh, theologian says that this is like theological triage, just like when you're in the emergency room, those that are in critical care and in more severe injuries or illnesses need to be treated first. In the same way, doctrines that are of first importance, of more critical nature, they need to be treated as worth fighting for. As Jude says in Jude chapter uh, 1, there's only one chapter, Jude says, We must contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So, here's the question. Is the ascension of Jesus worth fighting for? Is it part of the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints? And I think one way to answer that question is to just simply look and see, has the ascension of Jesus going to heaven been included in the historic creeds or statements of faith throughout the history of the church? And all it takes is to do a little quick survey of some of the most well-known and widely used creeds and statements of faith, and you will see that the ascension of Jesus is in all of them. For example, one of the oldest and hopefully one of the most well-known Christian creeds is the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. It goes on to talk about the Holy Spirit, but that phrase, he ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty, is the exact same language used in the Nicene Creed, and we could go on and on with the historical creeds and statements of faith, the Westminster Confession of Faith, all Baptist Church confessions. If you looked up major creeds and summaries of the gospel, you will find that it has not been until recent decades that Christian denominations have dropped the ascension from the statement of faith as a critical doctrine. The ascension of Jesus is not a doctrine on the margins of the New Testament. It should not be treated like a little footnote tagged on to the end of the cross, or as one author says, as maybe a a climactic exclamation point at the end of the resurrection, because the resurrection is a big deal for Christians today. But the ascension is just kind of like, yeah, and then he ascended. One of my favorite books on the Ascension actually argues that the Ascension of Jesus, not the Resurrection and not the Second Coming of Jesus, is the climax of the story of Jesus because it is the event that fulfills all the prophetic hopes of Israel. The Ascension is of utmost importance, and so therefore we must contend for it, Fight for it. It must not be overlooked, neglected, misunderstood, or lost. Two two years ago was the first time that I started thinking about this topic as I was starting to do some more schooling, and I was doing an experiment in my own church. So here's the question I want to throw out to you all if you're listening or watching, and I would like you to think off the top of your head. Give me the top five things that you think Jesus did while he was on the earth. This was the question I started asking people when I'd meet with them one-on-one or in little small groups. And so I want you to think about that now. Would the ascension of Jesus be on the tip of your tongue if I were not talking about it today on Ascension Day? 
I mean, do we really hear sermons about Jesus ascending into heaven and leaving earth as much as we hear about him coming to earth or rising again from the dead or dying on the cross? The first ever sermon by Peter in the book of Acts is all about both the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. The first Christian sermon, you could say. In Acts chapter 2, go read it again. Read what Peter says and notice that he quotes Psalm 110 in that sermon. He declares Jesus is risen from the dead, but he also says that the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. Did you know that Psalm 110.1 is not just quoted in the first sermon, but it is the most quoted Old Testament passage in the entire New Testament My count is about 22 different times Psalm 110 verse 1 in reference to the ascension of Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father and putting his enemies under his feet is about 21, 22 times depending on how you count in the New Testament. Peter, James, John, Jesus himself, whoever wrote Hebrews, they all reference this key passage in the Old Testament, Psalm 110. All this should help us see that it is a big deal that we preach it, believe it, and uphold this beautiful, awesome doctrine. So why? Why has it been neglected? And I would think probably because many people don't even realize that Ascension Day exists. I was just before recording this texting a bunch of friends and family and just saying, Happy Ascension Day. And as you may not be surprised by the nature of this message, many people responded, What? What's Ascension Day? I didn't even know there was such a thing. Thanks for the reminder, Phil. Well, I learned something new today. So maybe it's because the church, after the Protestant Reformation, decided that they would rebel against a lot of the Catholic Church's uh, festivals and would only do Christmas and Easter. And so now we have Christmas and Easter and we lost Ascension Day and we lost the Holy Pentecost Day. Uh, Maybe that's one reason. Uh, Another reason could be because of our scientific modern age. In the last 200 years or so, as we have gotten more modern, we like to have more observable facts to explain things. And let's just be honest, sometimes when we think about the ascension, it seems absurd. It seems strange. Like now Jesus rising from the dead, maybe a little more plausible, still a hard sell for a lot of modern people today. But the idea of a human leaving the earth, kind of floating into the clouds, we have very little descriptions as to how and in what way that all happened other than a short little teaching in Acts chapter 1. But I think our our scientific modern age is completely uh, chopping off all of the, you know, supernatural and spiritual and things of heaven and earth combining together in this glorious story of the ascension. So that's another reason. Uh, And probably the most significant reasons are that it's not actually explicitly talked about in the Bible as much as the death or resurrection of Jesus. And so for a lot of people, it seems like the death and resurrection are just vastly more important. Whatever the reason might be, I want to suggest that it is in fact extremely important that we recover the doctrine of the ascension. So let's move on to part two. Why recovery of the ascension is critical. Let me start off with a quote. A proper understanding of the ascension is crucial to maintaining a proper perspective on Jesus's presence and absence. And it is the key 
to a correct and fruitful relationship to the world. I began this message saying that I'd like to engage the topic of how do Christians engage the world? Do we seclude ourselves in isolation in a holy huddle? Or do we actively, proactively get involved in the world or become like the world on those two different extremes? And Dawson is a, a guy, Scott Dawson wrote a book on the ascension of Jesus and says, properly understanding the ascension will help us as a corrective, as a key for a fruitful relationship to the world. So let me suggest three things I've come in my studies of the ascension in the last couple years that I think are good takeaways for just practical, everyday Christian life. First, the material world matters. Second, his absence unleashes his presence. Third, his position displays his power. Let's do those one at a time. First, the material world matters. When Jesus went to heaven, how did it happen? In what form was he? And the simple answer is Jesus was in a human body. According to Luke chapter 24, when Jesus was raised from the dead, he said to his disciples, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look and see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see me, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Jesus showed his hands and his feet. He took a piece of broiled fish. He ate it. All of these scriptures and the many others about Jesus' resurrection show us that Jesus was alive fully in 100% bodily form after the resurrection. He is not a ghost. He is not a spirit. Jesus is fully God, fully man in that condition when, in Luke 24, 51, it says, And then he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. That is where Jesus is right now. He is not in some disembodied state, although we do not have any geographical or architectural information to figure out where exactly heaven is or what it looks like or what that experience is. I have tried to think about that. It is beyond me. It is a mystery. It is part of the transcendence of what it means to be a Christian and believe in God. The Bible does not make that clear, but it does make clear that the resurrected Christ is in heaven with the Father. So, as you might often hear around Christmas time, do you ever hear a preacher or a devotional book have you stop and pause and say, isn't it amazing that God would come down and become a human? Or to put it another way, heaven, a part of heaven came down and became a part of earth and then say, behold, this is the glory of the incarnation. Have you ever had that? I, I know I've heard that maybe dozens and dozens of times every Christmas season. And I stop and I ponder and think, wow, that's amazing. And it is. But I want today on Ascension Day for you to stop. And I want you to marvel at the opposite side of the coin of the gospel. I want you to think about the mystery and the amazing thing it is that Christ bodily ascended to heaven. This is unbelievable. It is amazing that a human is now in heaven. A human is now in heaven. A part of earth went 
and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus has gone in a form and a condition where no man has gone before. Regardless of what happened with Enoch and Elijah, Jesus is the resurrected of the new creation, and he has done what no man has done. And so keep your eyes on Jesus. He is seated at the Father's right hand. And therefore, do not over-spiritualize the mission of the church. One of the bad fruits of the neglect of the ascension is that when we reject the goodness of the physical and material world, then we think that the mission of the church is just mental or spiritual. The material world matters. Your future inheritance as a Christian would be the new heavens and the new earth that will be full of physical and material realities. Do not put your hope primarily in what will happen immediately after you die, whether you will be in some sort of spirit form in the intermediate state. Put your hope in the physical, resurrected, new human body that will be like Jesus. It is critical for us to maintain a biblical understanding of the ascension of Jesus because we need to realize that in our scientific modern world, there will be temptations to think that, well, Jesus just disappeared. And that's just another way to say that after his death, he became spiritually present everywhere. This is what liberal theologians have been saying for decades now. And so one of the things we get because of a rational, skeptic kind of mind that has swept across our nation is that we have now spiritualized the ascension. Listen to the way one author puts it. Could it be that many Christians have a view of God's work in the world that closely resembles the great ancient heresy called Gnosticism that said that the soul is good, but our physical body is bad? According to this way of thinking, salvation occurs when you leave your physical body behind when you die, and then your soul escapes into a spiritual existence in the heavens, end quote. This is exactly what I'm talking about. To recover the physical resurrection of Jesus and then the bodily ascension of Jesus will help us see that unlike the Gnostics, Christian faith is not a spiritual ascent to where we will live forever in a non-material world, but in fact, the ascension affirms that God's plan, as Romans 8.21 says, is to free this creation from its bondage of corruption. So friends, do not spiritualize the ascension of Jesus. We will become no better than the Gnostic heretics who denied their obligations to care about what really is going on in this world. And we will make the same mistake if we spiritualize the ascension. The neglect of the ascension has surely contributed to spiritualizing tendencies, I think, in our everyday evangelical churches. We simply do not think of Jesus knit to our humanity. So we often think very little of what that means, that Jesus right now values our human flesh, and therefore he values the lives of our neighbors. And therefore we just use this earth as one more disposable commodity to consume. And a weak view of the ascension will bring about that very kind of attitude. It will have a low view on the earth and the material matter. And in fact, what we need is a high view of our future enduring reality as material beings. So that's the first point, is that when we recover the ascension, I believe it will help us see that the material world matters 
as we engage this world. Second big takeaway is that Jesus's absence from the earth unleashed his presence on the earth. Tim Keller, in a sermon on Acts chapter 1, called it the dynamite detonator. That when Jesus broke through the heavens, it was like a detonator that unleashed the powerful presence of God all over the earth. And what are we talking about? We're talking about his promise that, Lo, I will be with you to the end of the age, Matthew 28, verse 20. Or John chapter 16, starting in verse 5. Now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Many of you probably have heard this Bible verse before. I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. But how many of us really believe that? The doctrine of the ascension underscores the importance of next week's holiday, which is Pentecost Sunday, and the glorious sending of the Holy Spirit and the power of God's presence dwelling within your heart and him writing his law on your heart and him transforming lives and sending the gospel to the nations and being all over the earth all in one time and not limited to one space. Jesus says that when he is going to the Father who sent him, it will be an advantage because the helper will come and then he will convict the world. Or put it simply, Jesus says that his physical presence will leave the earth and then the Spirit of Jesus will come through the Holy Spirit. The logic is straightforward. Jesus ascends, the Spirit descends so that we can worship and ascend. There is an ascending, descending pattern throughout the Bible. Maybe somebody should do some schoolwork on that. That's why I'm doing this talk right now, because for the last two years, I've been working on a PhD and thinking about ascending, descending realities throughout the Bible and hoping that you and I will believe that this is an important theme in the scriptures. Jesus explains that this is a great, great advantage to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. So I suggest a proper understanding of the ascension is critical for our engagement with the world. But let's pause right here. Doesn't this seem backwards? Wouldn't evangelism be a whole lot easier if Jesus was still on the earth right now? When somebody's thinking like, well, I don't know if I can believe in God, you'd be like, well, actually God's on the earth right now. Let me go take you to Jesus himself. This just doesn't seem like a good strategy. It's like removing the key piece of evidence that would substantiate the claim of the resurrection. Well, I don't know if Jesus really rose from the dead. And then if we were able to say, well, he's actually over in China right now. Let's go take a trip and meet up with Jesus. So the ascension seems very counterintuitive, and I would certainly be understanding if you ever struggle with this thought that, yeah, why did Jesus leave? But it's important to remember that as we engage the world, the mission of the church is rooted in the reality that Jesus Christ is right now reigning and ruling with all authority in heaven on, in, on earth. Matthew 28, 18, the great commission to go and make disciples, our engagement with the world is very much so dependent on the fact that 
Jesus Christ right now has authority in heaven and on earth. So the reason why it is better for Jesus to ascend and the spirit to descend is because Christ will be in the highest position of authority to rule over the heaven and earth. I always tell people it's kind of like he's in mission control center, not just for a certain nation or army. He is the commander in chief over the entire cosmos. And if his physical body is in heaven and his spirit is in us, then his presence can go all over the world all at the same time, maybe even right this minute as we're all listening to this wherever we are. Jesus says, lo, I will be with you to the end of the age. I really think that if we recover the ascension, we will have a deeper appreciation for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit like we have maybe never had before. One of my favorite images of this comes from a theologian named Michael Horton, and he called the ascension event like the pinata at a birthday party. You ever been to a birthday party and there was a pinata and the kids are all like whacking at the pinata and then eventually someone gets the stick and then boom, the pinata bursts and candy flies everywhere. When Jesus ascends to heaven, as I mentioned earlier, it is the detonator of the explosion of God's presence all over the earth. It is the candies that are falling down from heaven and goodies are coming all over the world to every tribe, tongue, and nation because Jesus broke through the barrier where no human being has gone before. He made it to the very throne room of God. He stands before the Father. He offers himself as the full substitutionary sacrifice that he gave his life for. He offered his life to the Father, and the Father said that it is sufficient. And there he stands and seated at the Father's right hand, interceding on our behalf. So, Get that image, and every time you go to a birthday party and there's a pinata, whenever we will have those again in coronavirus uh, is over. Hopefully you will have wonderful, glorious images of the ascension and the falling of the Spirit upon us. So the gift of the Spirit showering down to protect us from conforming to the pattern and the ways of the world. This message is not just about Jesus's ascension. This message is about how we engage the world and how are we going to engage the world without the very presence of God in our heart transforming us and protecting us and guiding us. Jesus's absence from this world then should teach us that our world as it's presently constructed is not our home. Our citizenship is in hell, heaven, Philippians 3, 20 and 21. We are sojourners and exiles, 1 Peter 2, 11. So again, maintaining a proper understanding of Jesus's bodily ascension to heaven will remind us that we are not fully in this world in the same way that Jesus Christ is not in this world right now. When you think, but it'd be cool to have Jesus here. But in another way, it will be much better for you to be reminded he's not here because this current condition of the earth is not our home. Let's not get too comfortable by living here on this earth. And having Jesus gone and having his spirit dwell with us will guide us in, I think, the best possible way to maintain these tensions. I think that, as it's been stated in one of my favorite books on the Ascension, the recovery of the Ascension in the life of the church will then offer a bracing corrective to one of the most prevalent problems we face in America. What is that? What is one of the most prevalent problems that we face in America? Answer, an over-identification with the world. 
There is a virtual indistinguishability between much of the church and the culture in the U.S. and Western Europe, and this has crippled our witness in our engagement in the world. Maybe one example can suffice. The church today is breathless with busyness. The church today is breathless with busyness. It takes an enormous amount of time and energy for us in the West to manage all of our prosperity. We have so many things to maintain, and we're so many times that we make expectations for our children to keep them running around on a hamster wheel of all the good activities that there are, that there's no actual time for us to be a family together. Hopefully the coronavirus, if it's teaching us anything, is that there are a lot of good things that are keeping us from the best things. And so we're so used to thinking about being busy as normal, as a usual state of life, that we complain that we're tired all the time. If we're going to faithfully engage the world, then we must maintain a proper perspective of Christ's presence in the world through his spirit and his physical absence from the world in his in ascension to heaven. The danger on the one hand is to not is to let the world become the church's primary home and get too comfortable. When the bodily ascension of Christ is properly proclaimed and understood, then we can engage the world knowing that our ultimate citizenship is in heaven, where Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand. But on the other hand, the opposite danger is to completely withdraw from the world. Christians have done this too. Total withdrawal from the world is antithetical to the entire message of the Bible, and it is not realistic as an actual option for Christians. So our citizenship is in heaven, but our earthly home and mission right now are on the earth. And in the same way, Christ came down into the earth to rescue the world, and we are sent into the world as ambassadors to represent our heavenly home and to establish embassies here on earth, colonies of heavenly people. And I believe it is the doctrine of Jesus' ascension that the church desperately needs to learn to not only be conformed to the world, but to not also complete with withdrawal from the world. As Jesus prays in his John 17 priestly prayer, summing up this point quite well, he prayed about his ascension and said, I am no longer going to be in the world, but they will be in the world, and I am coming to you. And then he prayed, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. That is a great example of this helpful middled road between our engagement in the world that does not look too much like the world, but doesn't, on the other hand, remove us completely from it. Jesus' ascension to heaven is right in the middle of that prayer of John 17. The Holy Spirit's descent to the church is the key to our faithful presence in the world. That's point two. So one is the material world matters, and that's seen by Jesus bodily going to heaven. He went to heaven in a human body, and he lives right now as a human, and he will forever. Second, his absence unleashes his presence through the power of the Holy Spirit. And third, his position displays his power. That's the last point I have for you. Jesus is right now seated at the Father's right hand, and the scriptures say that this means that all powers of evil and all of his enemies are subjected to him. For the past 2,000 years, the church has faced great persecution from all kinds of people and nations who have opposed Jesus and the church. 
This should not be a surprise since Jesus himself taught that there would be many troubles for his disciples. Almost every New Testament book and every letter provides some kind of warning about impending persecution. Paul tells Timothy, indeed, all the desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So many times the church engages with the world. It does not lead to a fruitful harvest. It leads to death and the blood of the martyrs. So how does the church persevere through these trials? One text that I want to bring to your attention is 1 Peter 3, 18 to 22. It is a great example of how the New Testament authors encourage perseverance through suffering by reminding those believers that Jesus has ascended and has rule over all the dark powers that are coming against them. Here's the passage, 1 Peter 3, 18 and then 22. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And then there's more stuff that I'm going to skip over because it's probably some of the most controversial verses in the New Testament. But the way this passage ends, Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Peter wants to provide comfort for suffering Christians. That's the whole point of 1 Peter. Read the book, 1 Peter. It's a short little letter, and the whole thing is about providing comfort for Christians. And he does so again and again by pointing to Christ. And in this case, he points to how Jesus' sufferings led to his ascension, and that by him going down to the earth and down to the grave, he then was raised and exalted and secured victory over all forces of evil. Do you get the lesson here. By humbling yourself and receiving suffering that happens when you engage the world in mission, it will lead to your exaltation. It will look at first as if everything is doomed as the disciples did and they looked at the cross of Jesus and stood there gazing and wondering, this is our hope? He's dead. But then three days later, their hope came to life and resurrection and exaltation began. Peter's point is this. Just as Christ, who suffered innocently, was exalted to honor, so those who faithfully follow him can anticipate the same kind of honor when you suffer for doing what is right and good. Jesus' ascension is the reason why we should continue to persevere and not withdraw from the world or our mission to the nations. The ascension provides the thrust of Peter's argument because Christ has already won the victory. He proclaims over the captives. Christians already have and will have a secure triumph over the powers that are currently against us. His death on the cross brings unrighteous people to God, and that through his resurrection and ascension, he defeats the forces of evil and the powers of darkness. Therefore, when the truth of the ascension is recovered and cherished and the church preaches it, the church then possesses the fuel and the armor to fight against the forces of evil that oppose her. So the big idea of this little Ascension Day message here on this podcast recording and Facebook Live is that the Ascension of Jesus needs to be recovered today because Christ's absence from the world is the key to the church's faithful presence of the world. Let me leave you with a money quote that I've been reading as I've studied this doctrine. A robust doctrine of the Ascension of Jesus in the flesh can influence and even transform the present everyday life of the church. The very nature of the church is determined by the condition and location of the Lord, the head 
of his body. Jesus is in heaven, yet we, his people, are on earth. The church therefore exists with a palpable sense of being incomplete in the world. We are strangers here and passing through on our way to be reunited with Christ when he returns. Happy Ascension Day, everybody. I hope you are blessed and encouraged by this. And let's retrieve and recover the glorious good day. 40 days after Easter every year. It's always on a Thursday. Here it is, May 21st, 2020. Happy Ascension Day. Take care.